Roxo Media House. Hello, Frog fans. Welcome to Post Game Beers Podcast. We are the Lupton Drinking Club here for your midweek fix of chatting college baseball. I'm your host, Kyle Malloy at YellMK, joined by my co-host, Jacob Sailors at JD Sailors. We've also got Crazy Ray Cartwright and the Sultan of Stat, Martin Guerrero. Our special guest tonight, he is a true lover of college baseball, but he's a hater of your favorite team. Uh, D1's only Kendall Rogers. Kendall, this is uh, this is your busy season. Why did you decide to find 30 minutes to, to, to join us, Jokers? Well, I mean, I, I think I like pretty much like stood you up last time. So uh, it was totally <laughs> on an accident. But I remember like going to my Twitter DMs and I, this is like a few weeks ago. And I'm like, and I saw like y'all had runes on there. And I'm like, wait a second. Pretty sure I might have accidentally ignored <laughs> his DM. So, uh, no, I saw your boy at, at Texas State. So it's like, let, let's do this. Let's have some fun. Hell yeah. yeah. Well, we upgraded to Rooney. So no no hard feelings over Rooney here. Rooney is definitely an upgrade. I, I agree with that. <laughs> and he's not Just an Aggie, kidding. so that helps. Just kidding. Hey, Kendall, you dropped us from the rankings this week. And we just thumped ACU and Northwestern. What do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> well, now that you've been Abilene Christian, you'll be back in. No, in all, in all seriousness, <laughs> all, all seriousness though, um, Abilene Christian is not a bad team. Like, no, you know they've done a really nice job this year. Yeah, I mean Rick McCarty does a really nice job there. You know, you know Grayson Tetro and like uh, Logan Britt, the the Adam kickback. Both those guys have been really good for them this year. So that's actually a really High quality win for TCU, uh, you know, as they as they leave the midweek. So I know you're kind of kidding, but that's actually a really nice win for them. <laughs> we're, so it's funny we're actually not kidding because we're tired of losing those midweek games. No kidding, know? it's been a rough two yeah, years. Yeah, and that is a vast improvement over what I saw in San Marcos a couple of weeks ago. I just thought TCU looked a little out of sorts. Like you know, Braden Taylor didn't look great, which I mean, I feel like the dudes at least until that game was hitting like 700 when I'm in attendance. You know, Elijah Nunez didn't look great outside of one hit. And so, like, they just didn't look themselves. I, I don't I, I don't have any doubt they'll get going, but, yeah, it, it wasn't pretty. Yeah, it didn't look any better in Norman this weekend, sadly. So, yeah, well, I mean, the good news is you have Kansas at home. Uh, you, you would hope. Uh, and Fitz, I mean, he's actually done an okay job there this year with the, with the crew that he kind of inherited. But that's a series that, you know, you know for TCU – you really want to kind of make up for one of those losses at Oklahoma and sweep that thing this weekend. Yeah. Um, well, I guess since this is technically our preview pod, is there anybody on Kansas that uh, we should watch? Like any kind of highlights you see from that squad? Yeah. I mean, I think there's some guys on that team that are pretty interesting. You know, I think you look at like Cole Elvis, like he's a, he's a cow kickback who, uh, you know, I'm actually kind of surprised by his power numbers because he's a really powerful guy. But, you know, he only has two home runs for them. He's hitting 274. But, I mean, he's one of those guys that can have a, you know, have a huge weekend. Luke Leto is, a, is certainly a guy I know well. He's a really highly talented prospect coming out of high school when he originally signed with LSU. Uh, you know, Collier Cranford, you know, has hit for more power this year. You know, it's kind of interesting with Collier. You know, when he was at uh, LSU, his calling card was really kind of defense. He was not an offensive guy at all. But, uh, you know, he's done a really nice job. But then – on the mound, they have two guys that, you know, is kind of the straw that stirs their drink, so to speak, and Colin Baumgartner and Sam Ireland. Uh, Sam Ireland, for me, 
Um, if I'm TCU, he's the one that probably worries me the most because he is the guy who has the biggest stuff. Uh, you know, he's going to be up to 96, 97, uh, potentially 98 with his fastball, you know, typical slider changeup guy. But, like, you know, 24 strikeouts, six walks. Like, he is a type of pitcher who can go out there and shut a team down for seven innings if he's clicking on all cylinders. Uh, Colin Baumgartner, one, one of a one of the many great kind of college baseball stories, guys. I mean, he was at SIU Edwardsville, got hurt. Now he's kind of coming back at, at Kansas and making a return. But, you know, he's an accomplished pitcher uh, before he got to Kansas, and now he's finally helping. He's done a really nice job for him. So they, they've actually got a pretty solid – one-two punch. They don't have a ton of quality depth, but they've got a really solid one-two punch in those two guys. So something you just did right there, um, pretty impressive because we're not talking about a top 25, top 50, maybe even top 75 team right here. Yeah. We're talking about kind of a bottom tier Big 12 team. I can't imagine the number of of uh, you know rosters you're you're skimming through and trying to understand all these teams, you know, on a daily basis. Like What's your weekly schedule look like? Obviously, you know, D1's kind of grown quite a bit. Yeah. Um, you, you guys have – I don't know how big your team is at this point, but, you know, what's your what's your week look like? Yeah, it's kind of crazy, actually. I mean, you you would think I'd just sit here and just study teams all, all day long. Like, I really don't. Like, it's just kind of on the fly. But, I mean, I, I will say this. You know, I, I'm definitely not one to toot my own horn. I was on a radio show in Baton Rouge a few weeks ago. They played, like, Central Connecticut, and the host goes – you know, we I sit here and I'm sitting here diving in LSU and talking for 30 minutes about LSU. And all of a sudden he goes, Hey, what can you tell me about Central Connecticut? <laughs> and I sat there and I went, dude, not a damn thing. Like I know I was like, I know nothing about them other than the fact, you know, they gave Arkansas hell in the Fayetteville Regional a few years ago. So uh I, I will admit when I don't know teams, and that's one of the teams I don't know. Uh, but you know, really what it kind of boils down to in our, in terms of our schedule, like Sunday nights, you know, I'll get done with games. Get the how the you know how they fared story out. We'll talk as a team about how we're going to rank teams. You know our team that 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 ranks is you know used to be me and Aaron. Now then it was me, Aaron Rooney. Now it's me, Aaron Rooney, and Joe Healy, who we hired to run SEC extra. Don't worry, he's not an SEC guy. He's actually a same Houston grad who um, lives in Durham, North Carolina. But you know we hired him to run that, and so he gives his input as well. And then we do that. And Monday's a, just a total, you know, what show, uh, yeah. there's a ton of stuff going on on Monday. And then Tuesday I write a column and then really Wednesday is pretty low key, to be honest with you. Um, it's just kind of going through midweek results, like, you know, who's impressive and, you know, going through the leaderboards and things like that. So it's not as hectic as you would think, but the, yeah, I mean, really the, the thing that I've liked that we've done is in the fall, you know, kind of our tip of the cap to teams that make the postseason is we do a fall report on every single Power 5 team, and we do a fall report on every single team that made the postseason. And when you do that, you learn a lot about a team that you otherwise would have never learned. What You know, because, the it's, you know, the, the fall report, you're really digging into, you know, the scouting, you know, the scouting info and all these different teams, whereas, you know, when the coaches fill out these surveys, they're not filling out a lot of that stuff. So the fall reports have become a huge resource for me because in the fall I have time to actually sit down and read all of them. So uh, that that's really where I get a bulk of my information, to be honest with you. Are coaches open to sharing with you? I mean, obviously you're uh, a huge boon for the sport and in general, but do you ever have any any guys that are opposed to maybe giving you information that they, they think never. is you – know, Never. Okay. Honestly, so here is one thing I love about this sport, and I've been covering this since I was actually – 
you know, I mean, I count this, but like I started like a blog when I was a junior in high school and it ain't even consolidated high school. And it was a big 12 blog back then. And it's kind of funny, man, how, like how things have evolved. Like when I first started and like Van Horn and I still talk about this sometimes when I first started, I, I mean, I was like a 17 year old kid calling like Dave Van Horn, Tom Holiday, uh, you know, Augie Garrido. And just like, just hoping they would call me back. I just want to interview him for a story. <laughs> like first year, never would call second year, never would call. And like out of the blue, Dave Van Horn calls me. And like, it was, it was like, once he called me and like knew it wasn't just a total, well, it, I guess he didn't think I was an idiot. I, I call myself an <laughs> idiot sometimes, but like, you know, he didn't think I was a total goon. So like once he returned my call, it was like, it was like a domino effect. And that was kind of the launching pad for that. But like this day and age, you know, I've had, I've talked to pro teams in the past that like, Hey, would you be interested in like getting a pro ball? Like 0% because college baseball coaches are a unique breed in the sense that like they want coverage and they have a lot of respect for people who cover the game. So like if I, you know, it's, you know, Jim was the same way when he's at TCU. He's been the same way at AM. Lois is the same way at TCU now. Like if we want, like, I wouldn't say if we want something, that's, that's the wrong way to put it. But like, if I call Lois, like, Hey, I'm hearing, you know, so-and-so might be on the shelf this weekend, or I'm hearing you might shake up the rotation. And I reach out to Kirk, like, I mean, he's getting back to me within two hours. And that's the way coaches in college baseball are. They're smart. They they view D1 baseball as almost like a a PR kind of platform for their program. And so it's been really cool. And they know that us as professionals, again, loose loose use of professional, but like they realize that us as professionals, like we're not, you know, if you call us back, we're not just gonna talk, you know, wonderful about your program all the time, even when you stink. Uh, and so there, there is that, there is that fine line there, but like, yeah, the coaches, man, and the sport are phenomenal. So it sounds like they're pretty open to sharing stuff. What's, what's kind of the biggest gripe that, that it's, that's going around right now. Maybe, I don't know if it's about, you know, just changes with NIL or transfer portal or anything like that. Uh, LSU, like coaches bitching about, L- you know, I don't know if I'm supposed to say bitching. <laughs> Cause they're hoarding all the talent or correct. Yeah. Just coaches. Oh, they're cheating. I mean, I can tell you right now, I know the ins and outs of the whole thing. They're not cheating. They're playing within the rules. Uh, you know, my my take on LSU is the same take I've had on Vanderbilt is in a sport like college baseball, where we are giving teams 11.7 scholarships. If you can find a way to give kids more money, I don't really care how you do it. Like, if you don't like it, change the system. It's I mean, it's pretty simple. Like, if you don't like it, fight to change the system. And it started with Vanderbilt, and now people are crowing about it with LSU because they had they gave NIL money to Tommy White and Paul Skeens and all these other guys. Well, you sound like someone who is not a fan of a club that got eliminated by Vanderbilt in the College World Series. <laughs> I, yeah. I can't Vanderbilt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is what it is, right? I mean, again, I, I've been very consistent on this. I just – if we're going to give 11.7 scholarships and Vanderbilt can find a way to – and I, and I still, I mean, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. And I still don't know the exact number of scholarships they have, but let's just say it's 25. I mean, Hey, they found a way to do it, man. Like more power to them. And, and I'll say this about college baseball too. Uh, college baseball is not far away from being at 25 scholarships. I Good. truly believe in the next three or four years, we will, we will have two, two divisions. I think we'll, I think college or division one will split 
And I think you will have a minimum 11.7. Cause remember we've got about 35% of programs in the country right now who aren't even 11.7. Well, yeah. I mean, that drives got, Martin crazy. Dude, we've got like probably 70 who don't even have scholarships. <sighs> Yeah, Martin so, wants them kicked out of college, like Division One. Well, so it's so that that brings up a great point. So, like, I have to be careful because, like, I know so many great dudes that coach at some of these programs. But like, if I'm Iona, and I'm and I actually don't know the coach at Iona, but if I am Iona and I have, let's just say I have one scholarship or two scholarships, like Akron, for instance, has no scholarships. Why in the hell are they competing? against Michigan, Louisville, and schools like that in college baseball. It makes no sense. Like, why are they playing Division I baseball? I, I just think it's silly. I think it's I think it's uh it's an it's kind of an injustice to their players and I think it puts their coaches in a lose lose situation. So yeah, one of the, sure. the the um rulings I guess that just changed was yeah. not the number of scholarships but the number of people that could get scholarships. Is that correct? Can you tell me what, what benefit that is to expand the number of people you're just splitting up the same number of scholarships for? Well, it allows you to give more money to more people. Uh, and the reason why I like this, and, and again, this is kind of a hot button deal. And I can tell you, and I'll dive into it in a second. I can tell you without talking to Kirk Sarlos that he probably doesn't dig this very much. The But the thing is, is I, I've been one of those people that, I mean, let, let's be really honest about the about the the economics of college baseball. There are a lot of kids who, if you look at what they do in the summer, they, they're playing. They're paying thousands and thousands of dollars to be on summer teams, right? Well, does a kid like that? If a kid's paying ten thousand dollars, you know, over the summer to play summer ball, and his parents can easily afford it, does that kid really need twenty five percent? Or should we have the ability as a program to go, you know what? Little Billy lives in, you know, University Park. Sorry, I, I mentioned LS, uh, SMU's area. But let's just say kids in University Park or Highland Park, like does he really need 25% whenever he could go to TCU for 4% and be totally happy? And you can give that other 21% to a kid from, you know, another part of Dallas or somewhere else where he, he may actually need the money. So I actually like it because there are a lot of kids in the sport who are very well off and don't necessarily need 25% minimum. Right. Um, the argument against it would be this is if you look around the country and I'm, and you know, I'm not just going to single out Texas and Texas A&M, but I'm going to look at LSU. I'm going to look at the, in the state of South Carolina, South Carolina and Clemson. Cause I was talking to coach a mid-major coach and, South Carolina about this, the concern that men majors has have, and I would think the concern that TCU has to agree, granted, they've done a phenomenal job of negating this over the last you know decade or so, uh, because there's so many unique offerings at TCU, is when you look at these different states, like a lot of kids in the state of Texas will naturally grow up being a fan of Texas or Texas A&M. A lot of kids in this Palmetto state will grow up being a fan of Texas or, a, excuse me, South Carolina or Clemson. So what happens is like they may they may say, hey, you know what? Um I'll go to I'll go to Texas or Texas AM for hell, one percent. I just want to be on the I just want to be a Longhorn or an Aggie. So I'll go there for one percent. Well, in essence, those schools can take advantage of that and just essentially stockpile players. 
So I don't think it really necessarily affects like TCU, but it definitely affects these Texas states of the world where, you know, the 25% rule helps them because, you know, they may be able to give that kid 50 and, you know, A&M may say, hey, or Texas may say, hey, man, we don't have room to give you that kind of money. And so I, I think it does hurt men, you know, some men majors in that regard. Yeah. So, well, to me, it seems like, you know, increasing the amount of players that can get scholarship is the first step to increasing scholarships. That yes. was my that was my first reaction when I saw the It news. is a great first step. It's definitely like, I mean, you can definitely view it right now in college baseball is slightly counterintuitive, but it's definitely a, a good first step. Now we just need to press forward and get the other things done. And I, and I you know, again, I know this will probably, you know, you guys probably won't like to hear this, but like Greg Sankey, being a power broker at the NCAA level right now uh, when having all this leverage, even though he's an SEC guy, like it's really, really good for college baseball because I know Greg, you know, he, he's he's fighting for the SEC. But Greg Sankey, like I've talked to the guy numerous times, like he loves college baseball and he wants college baseball to be at, you know, 25 to 27 scholarships. And that's one thing he's willing to fight for. And that benefits, obviously, TCU, the Big 12, Pac-12, and other mm-hmm. conferences. Yeah, for sure. I have a question about uh, roster. You know, Rooney talked about this whenever we had him on. Uh, sure. We'll get your thoughts on it. Is whenever they expand the rosters, having that roster set in August as opposed to at the end of fall where you're cutting kids and it's pretty much caught – costing them a year because they've got to find other yeah. options there in December. What are your thoughts on it? I'm totally fine with having a roster limit in the, in the fall. I actually love the idea. I think runes runes is the first person I've actually heard bring that up. And I love it. Uh, I will not name names, uh, but there are programs around the country that I get their fall roster. And I swear to God, like it's, it's two sided and it goes halfway down the next page. Like they've got like yeah. 75 guys on the roster. <laughs> Martin's doing I mean, this. Martin's throwing the guns up. Dude, I'm not naming names, but I mean, but <laughs> you know, Baylor, for instance, had like 68 dudes or, or something like 60 dudes on the rock. Granted, it wasn't Mitch Thompson's doing. Like they they just brought in like a ton of guys, but like they had like 60 guys on the roster, and like they're actually pretty light compared to some other schools. So I'm with you. Um, with that said, I don't know how many like TC recruits parents are watching this or you know, kids that are uh, you know, the lower classifications, but I would urge parents that are being recruited, do your due diligence on programs. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like the whole, the old saying, like if it, if it, you know, quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And if a program consistently overscience, consistently, you know, has 58 dudes or 60 dudes in the fall, guess what? When they tell you that little Jimmy, Oh, it's little Jimmy. will never get cut. Yeah, the little Jimmy's probably getting cut. So that that's all I have to say about that. So um, do you guys want to switch gears a little bit? Because one thing I'm really curious about, uh, you mentioned your Mondays are a you-know-what show. And for me, <laughs> I, I, I uh, get on my phone early Monday morning, I see the rankings come out. And before I even have my first cup of coffee of the day, you're fighting with people on Twitter <laughs> about the rankings. So I wanted I want to know if you have any any um, debates or fights with certain schools or any instances that stick out like any highlights you can think of off the top of your head. Uh, Texas Tech fans were really mad at me a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, um, you were. You, you know, we you dropped them out. Yeah, 
Well, I mean, honestly, they look they look bad at Shriners, and we dropped them out, and they were like twenty four. We dropped them out. Like that's not that weird to go from twenty four to unranked, and like their fans like took it really personal. Um, this week, it's um, all the A and M football fans that come out of the woodwork, and they think that because they beat LSU once, uh, they should have gone up in the rankings. Uh, so I've had to explain that to the football A and M fans that this is not football. And because you win one game doesn't mean you go up. They still lost a series. <laughs> Frankly, they got their ass kicked in the first two games. Like, I mean, they had zero shot to win both of those games. So, like, we dropped them six spots and, like, their fans, like, flipped out. And it's like, dude, you got dominated the first two games. Like, it wasn't even close. So, yeah, like, is it a good win for your team that you won on Sunday? Yeah. But, like, you got dominated for two games. So, yeah, you should go down. So, if they're, they're the ones mad at me this week. They, they've always thought I'm a – they, those people have always thought I'm a closet Longhorn, though. So. It should be us, though, right? From 11 to unranked, and here, uh, here's, so well, here, no, here's hey, the MK. here's the kicker: is that GCU is 25th. That was that's what I laughed about the most because MK, you know, they, I tweeted they uh, our design. I tweeted Kendall on Sunday telling him to drop us out of the rankings. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, well, I, our, I, took it, I took you seriously. You're the only reason I did that. <laughs> uh, in all honesty, it, it was. I mean, we really we talked about that on the on our meeting extensively i actually fit if you have him on this year will attest to it i actually wanted to keep tcu in like 24 25 so i just thought it looked really weird to go from 11 unranked but i think it's logical to look at a team that's scuffling a little bit they've scuffled for a couple weeks now they are 10 and 9 like that's probably not a, a rank, you know, a rankable team at the moment. If so, we're being totally we, honest, you know, we're we're living on those first two wins of, of yeah. Arkansas and Vanderbilt, and everything no, no. after that is they've they've kind of sputtered since then. So I, uh, I would prefer of, for you for you guys if they go back to playing the way they did the first two days of the season. Yeah, me too. Something wrong with the offense. Did you see the Northwestern score from tonight? Hey oh. <laughs> I did not no. actually. What what was it? Nine we won nine to two. two. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah Northwestern I mean, finally won. How many did Northwestern still only have two coaches? Uh, They're a mess. Uh, yeah, I think so. It, yeah, I think so. Like one, but it looked like a grad student out at first base tonight. Yeah, or... so their pitching coach John Strauss, who was at Baylor last year, quit, and Dylan Napoleon uh, on their coaching staff also quit a couple weeks ago, and their volunteer quit a couple weeks ago. We had uh, Matt Perk on on Sunday, and he he was saying, "I cannot believe this game didn't get canceled." Yeah, well, I, well, maybe Perk could have been the guest coach or something for Northwestern. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Kendall, so I have a yeah, question ahead, about uh, just a quick question about Tech. <clears throat> and, yeah. you know, they jumped up after, you know, they did sweep Oklahoma State. I think where they took two or three. They took two or three. Two, two or three. three. They, they blew were uh, pretty close to losing uh, two or three to Tech or to OSU. What do you make yeah. of Texas Tech? Well, I mean, I watched it. I watched one of their games against Iowa, and it, honest to God, it looked like a much different, like a totally different team than what I saw at Shriners. Like they were very offensive. They hit with power. Um, I think the biggest thing about Tech, and it's always kind of the question mark with those guys, like how do they play away from Lubbock? And I, you know, I feel like when they're in Lubbock and they get going, like they're like a freight train. Uh, and the one thing I do like about them this year is I don't necessarily think their rotation's great. Like I don't think Brennan Gurton and Kyle Robinson are great, but they're good arms. You know, Mason Molina is a really solid left-handed pitcher. But what I do like is their depth in the bullpen. 
I mean, I think Ryan Freeze really good. I mean, I, I think we all saw him at Shriners. He was up to like 95. Brandon Beckel was electric against AM. So they've got I feel like they've got more options out of the bullpen than they typically do. And like, I mean, Tim Tadlock's teams are always going to find a way to hit. And I don't know if the AM game and Shriners was kind of their kind of their, you know, their their fire starter point. But like they've just been a totally different team offensively ever since that game. And so uh the the one thing that will be interesting is, you know, they're going to a place this weekend in Austin that you know, is the total opposite of Lubbock. Like it's going to play very, very, you know, pitch friendly and how they handle that will be very interesting to me because I mean, they've had success at home, but they haven't had a ton of success away from home. Yeah. And their schedule was super soft to start. So, you yeah. know, it's probably hard to get a real judge on. They caught but... Gonzaga in a weird year where like the Zags lost their entire week in rotation. So like, you know, on paper you're going, Oh man, they, you know, they, they swept Gonzaga in a four game series. Yeah. But the Zags are yeah. scuffling this year. Next next weekend be a really good tell of where both TCU and Tech are. There's no doubt. I mean, that's a that's a huge series, and I think, I mean, that'll be a big series for Tech, but I think that's a bigger series for TCU because I mean, yeah. if you're if you're a TCU and you're looking, I mean, your goal is is this program's goal should always be to host a regional, and if you're TCU and you're looking ahead, and you lose a series to Oklahoma and Texas Tech your pathway to hosting is is difficult you know because you're yeah. going to have to you're going to have to basically run the table against all the bad teams in the league and you're going to have you're going to have to knock off like Texas and Oklahoma state because if you lose to Oklahoma state then you know at that point you've lost you know series against the three best teams in the league potentially yeah. and that's not including West Virginia but you might have lost series against the three best teams in the league and at that point it's really difficult to host yeah. And the problem is, too, is even when TCU is like really on top of their game, when we've had our elite teams going to Lubbock's always been a problem for us. So I think going yeah. to Lubbock's a problem for everybody for sure, whether it's baseball or just going there in general. Unless you're <laughs> Sam Houston State in a regional, <laughs> then it's no problem. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, you know, TCU, I, I mean, I would say this uh, if this team was, was host worthy, but, uh, you know, TCU gets in the postseason, they can just send them to AM. I mean, because they've never back. Let's before. go. Let's go. We almost had that game last year. I'll never forget. Yeah, y'all did. I actually, actually, when TCU took the lead, I was like, oh boy. I was like, oh, I was like, Schloss's press conference is going to be so awesome. <laughs> oh, I know. I wanted that. That was a Tommy Sacco, too. Yeah, I wanted it for Sacco. You know, oh, that would have been. Dude, it was so weird. Like, what is so weird, and, and you know, is when you look at the history of Schloss Nagel and TCU against AM. Like that that whole last game was like his whole career against AM in reverse. It was so strange. Mm-hmm. Like it was the strangest thing I probably have ever covered in the regular like before Omaha. It's it's a wild storyline for sure, you know, and the fact that it ended like that in a regional is just was a heartbreak. Like, so heartbreak I'm actually kind of curious. Know. I'm gonna ask you a question. Go for it. Like what like what is like Schloss's legacy at TCU? Like it, do people like view him as like a turncoat for like for leaving, or is it kind of like, hey, like dude, like you put TCU baseball on the map, like your job here is done. I mean, I've always kind of wondered that. Like it's one of those things I haven't written about since he left, just because I know Jim and like know he would get all pissed off about me writing about that. But like it's a really <laughs> interesting storyline to me. Yeah, I think for us, you know, he he did what he did and that can never be forgotten. But you could definitely tell in those last few years that things weren't right. And it just seemed like 
he was ready to leave and the administration was probably ready for him to leave. And it just seemed like, you know, time had taken its toll. And so when he left, it was like, yeah, the program kind of needs this. You know, we need, we need yeah. a fresh start, new culture. Cause I think we got a, we, stale. we got a hint of it when he, you know, talked to Mississippi state, you know, a couple of years prior. And I think at that yeah. point it, it kind of, you know, set that idea in our minds that, Oh, maybe he's not long for this job. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so I think initially when he decided to go to AM, it's like, you know, there's a lot of uproar, like, oh, come on, and you know, AM, are you serious? But at the same time, if you're if you're a reason just like Jacob said, those last couple of years weren't great. You know, they just they they yeah. weren't it wasn't the same uh energy and and I think some of the feedback, you know, maybe from what was it, players or whoever was around was just like it, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't the same as 2014 to 2017. Well, so. and I would argue too. I, I remember going to TCU in the fall that year, and like the feeling just a, around there was a little off. Yeah, mm-hmm. like his last year there, like I, when I went there in the fall, it was just kind of like, mm, this is something seems off here. He was eating his apples a little harder that year. So yeah, <laughs> it was tense for sure. And like when we lost in the regional too, you could just kind of kind of tell was just like we almost like felt like this was probably his last game yeah i Uh, think it even goes back to that texas series that year because that whole month of may was just an incredibly weird month like they dropped a series to monroe uh kansas state with those crazy comebacks and then they go off and win the big 12 tournament yeah yeah well, I thought too. Like once, I thought once, like A and M got rid of uh, Rob Childers. Like I think that like Jim A and M was like the worst kept secret in, in college baseball. <laughs> yeah, like, I, heard question, like, like, I think I knew that thing was going down like three weeks before he was hired. Yeah, I heard that that was even in play going back to December, like before yeah, the season that. started. It was certainly in play well before, <laughs> well yeah. before he was hired. Hey, Kendall, I have a question for you. So you cover every team in the country, but when you think yeah. of just TCU, like is there a particular season or game maybe in a Super Regional or College World Series that sticks out to you? Like yes. when you think of TCU, this is your first thought? Yes. I go back to Brian Holiday's home run against Texas. Um, that To me, that's the, the biggest moment in TCU baseball history. Um, before that, I, I thought this was a, a really good program. I thought that was the moment that this became an elite program and became a program that the fans, the the administration, the coaches felt like, hey, you know what? Like, dude, we can be really good. Now, just to be clear, are you is this a home run from the Super Regional in 2010 or against Florida State in the College World Series? This is a Super Regional um, against Texas. Sorry, that was Curry, not Holiday. Yeah, okay. Okay. I was I can I was about to so, say, if I get that wrong, I'm going to feel really no, bad. No, no, no. I confused myself. Holiday, yeah, it was it? Curry against Florida State and Holiday against Texas. Okay. Yep. My bad. Yeah. I just feel like, I mean, I just feel like that was the biggest moment in TC baseball modern history because at that point, it was like the Big 12 was kind of like the Texas show. Like it was kind of like everybody, you know, in, you know, at least the state of Texas at that point. It was kind of like the Texas show. Like everybody just, you know, kind of watched what Texas was doing. Right. Like they were the premier program. And for TCU to go in there, play with a chip on their shoulder with, with Carp and Holiday and all those guys, win that series the way they did by just literally just ripping Texas' soul out. Like that, that to me was what made this program what it is today. Like that made this program realize, hey, we can be better than those guys. And guess what? For the most part, for the last, you know, 10 years, they've been better than those guys. 
Yeah, fun fact for me, the first ever college baseball game I ever watched in person was that Sunday regional down there in Austin. Super regional, yeah. Super regional, yeah. Yeah. Dude, when I'll never – I mean, that the holiday home run was one of the hardest hit balls I've ever seen. I mean, that thing – you know, the other thing that people don't realize in that game was he hit that off of Chance Ruffin. And, and, to, and until that point, Chance Ruffin's numbers out of the bullpen for UT – were just outrageously good. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so for him to hit that home run off, arguably like a top two reliever in college baseball, made it even more impressive. But yeah, I mean, that was an absolute ball. I'm pretty sure Holiday cleared the street in left field and like hit it halfway up a tree beyond beyond the street. Like that's how hard that ball was hit. God, I wish there was video. And that wasn't with today's bats either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Anything else, guys? Yeah. Or, uh... So, well, yeah, I got I got a few more. So, okay, go for it. I mean, transitioning to kind of the current team, you know, we've sure. we've we've noticed a drastic difference, kind of, with the addition of T.J. Bruce and and the you know uh, Moziello taking over for Ohio State. Obviously, yeah. each situation is different. That you know, when there's a new offensive head coach or new philosophy, but anecdotally, you know, when you're looking at teams around the nation, have, do you kind of see kind of a change when when there's a change in guard like that? Maybe a a transition period to kind of getting used to what that looks like as a, Hey, this is what we're doing now instead of what you've been doing for 10 years. Yeah. I mean, my, my, at first glance, I would say, I mean, so my, my, my opinion on TCU's a mixed bag because the first two games of the year when I saw them, it was like, Oh, same old TCU offense. Like, you know, Ramosi yellow, like, man, they got after them. But I would say this. I would say the 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 approach offensively is slightly different. Like I, I think under Mosiello, I felt like TCU was very much the aggressor offensively, whereas I feel like TJ maybe more of a kind of a take what you can get. And like both of those philosophies, by the way, are can be ultra successful. So it's not saying, oh well, you know, I, you know, it's kind of sounds like you're saying it's a lazy philosophy. But like it's not, but it's a different philosophy. I just thought Mosiello's whole approach was very much being like aggressive and being the aggressor. Whereas I think TJ is a little bit more, you know, patient, patient. Let's kind of let things happen, you know, take what you can get and things like that. It's more of a West Coast mentality. But I mean, is it vastly different from Mosiello, like in terms of what I see? I mean, not really. I mean, there's nothing that, that I look at and go, man, that looks totally different than what they used to. See, I would have thought that would be the opposite because under, you know, it seems like TCU teams of the past have been kind of patient in the accounts and really, uh, really working accounts where it seems this year they're up there and they're really trying to attack that first pitch. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, I, I thought most yellows offenses were kind of a blend of, of aggressiveness, you know, and being able to work pitches. Now, you know, they were, they were a very aggressive team on the base paths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, no doubt. So we're we're pretty confident, you know, kind of in the starting pitching. Uh, Ryan Vanderhei and Cole Klecker, Cam Brown, they've really produced so far. It's it's really been the offense, I think, that's struggled. That's why I brought up the question. But yeah, do you think that it's better to have a solid starting rotation and maybe struggle with hitting, and you can kind of figure that out versus the opposite, like where you have, you know, great hitting but you don't have any starting pitching. Uh, I would rather have better starting pitching. I, I think it's more likely, you know, and, and here's the deal. I mean, I know this doesn't happen every year, but I mean, in the last, what, four years, we've had two teams that were the last team in the field, one uh, one played for a national championship, one won a national championship. And I think when you're a team, once you can get to the postseason, if you're going to make a run, 
anybody's offense can get hot. But you know what doesn't happen is all of a sudden starting pitching that sucked all year all of a sudden be great. Like, that mm-hmm. just doesn't happen. I think when you look at, you know, TCU overall, I mean, you have starting pitching that you can work with. I mean, like you mentioned, Vander High, uh, I've seen him twice this year. I loved him both times with that fastball and slider. Uh, I can't – I cannot be happier for Cam Brown. I felt – I cannot tell you, you know, like how much I've gone away from like the falls when I've seen him and been like, oh, man, man, I love some Cam Brown. <laughs> then the spring rolls around, I'm like, what the – you know, like what the heck is going on? Same. And so to see him finally develop into the dude that I always thought he could be, like I'm really happy for the kid more than anything because that had to be really frustrating. And then, you know, the impact that Cole Klecker has made as a young, young arm, you're right. I feel pretty good about this rotation. And, again – when you look at this offense, for the most part, these are a lot of guys who have done it before. That means they can do it again. And so, I I mean, I think you'd rather have this set up than to be a team that you're hitting, you know, 310 or 320, but your starting pitching's a joke. Like, that that's not a winning formula in the postseason at all. How hard is it on a team whenever they start getting cluster injuries like TCU's had in the bullpen and then trying to navigate that, especially early in the season? That's massive. I mean, honestly, I, I would say that's one of the you know one of the big reasons they kind of scuffled a little bit is because you know that all that stuff all permeates, right? Like when you know one guy goes down, when Garrett Wright goes down, and the Luke Savage goes down, like it puts it puts undue stress on your pitching staff. It also then puts stress on your offense because they feel like they have to produce more to make up for those losses. So injuries are really just kind of have a trickle down effect to the rest of your team. So I, I think they're they're a huge deal. I, I really do. And, uh, you know, you look around the, you know, I guess the only team in college baseball who apparently doesn't matter if they have injuries is Arkansas because they've lost like their Friday guy, their all American closer and like their top reliever other than Brady Tiger. And it has not mattered at all. If anything, they've gotten better <laughs> somehow. That's so crazy. Last year, Tennessee was kind of a fun team to watch. You know, their coach was obviously turned into a villain. Is, is there a, is there a team, you know, if TCU fans, that, that that's obviously the most of the folks that are listening to this, is there another team in the nation we should be kind of watching out for because they're a lot of fun to watch? Yeah, I think South Carolina is really interesting. You know, I don't – you know, I don't I'll, – I'll be interested to see if they have staying power, but, I mean, they're I think they're like number two or number three in the country in home runs right now. Um, you know, Ethan Petrie, a freshman for them, uh, is I think hitting like 450 with like nine bombs or something as a true freshman. I think Wake Forest is a lot of fun to watch. I mean, it, you know, if you're watching a TC game on a Friday night and you see Wake Wake Forest on there, you're going to see Rhett Louder, who's going to be a top 10 pick in the draft. And you're going to see, you know, a lineup that's seven or eight players deep uh, that hit for a lot of power. And I would say the other team for me to, you know, to watch in terms of like if you're just a college baseball fan and you want to watch a team that ju- just really looks good playing college baseball – I know this sounds like cliche, but like LSU, you know, I saw them last weekend in College Station the first two days, and I mean, dude, they're really good. I mean, they're they're a lot. I think A and M starting pitching on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I think their starting pitchers were in the fifty pitches after two innings in every single game. They work counts like crazy. Uh, they make you throw the ball right over the plate. And by the way, they have some decent bats and, you know, Tommy White and Dylan Cruz and, you know, Paul Skeens on Friday night. I mean, again, out of all pitchers in college baseball, he's like the guy that I would tell any casual fan to watch. Uh, I think back to last weekend against the Aggies and there was one at bat that he had against 
uh, Austin Boast, an All-American for A&M. And, like, it looked like I was in the box. Like, that's how lost Boast looked. I mean, it was like it was like 100, aren't, you know, 100, uh, you know, 100 glove side run with a fastball, 99 glove side run with a fastball. And then the dude comes back with, like, a sweepy 85-mile-hour slider. And, like, I don't think Boast even swung the bat. Uh, like, that's how good that dude was. So, you know, Schloss actually told me last week that he thinks it's the best arm he's seen since Steven Strasburg. And I don't think he's wrong. I mean, it's it's impressive. It's it's special. You know, building off of that, it seems this year, and it's been kind of trending this way the last couple yeah. of years, the mid-majors seem to be at their most their highest quality that they've been in a long time. Yeah, dude. I'll tell you what, um, you know, y'all saw them last week, but I actually really like Texas State's team. Like, I think they can, I I think if they get the right draw, they can get to Omaha. I really do because, you know, they've got the offense. I mean, Jose Gonzalez is a really special player. Uh, You know, Chase Moore hit another home run tonight for him. TCU kept him in check for the most part. But, you know, he's been a wrecking ball as a freshman. But, you know, you look at those guys on the mound and, you know, they win that series last week against USM without Zeke Wood, their Friday starter, who's, you know, been the most consistent overall arm for them. And then they have the Texas Tech kickback and you know, Levi Wells, who's a big-time prospect, is their Saturday guy. Then they got Tristan Dixon on the back end. Like, dude, that is – if they can, if they can get three regional, they don't have quite as much depth as some other teams, but if they can get three regional, I would not, under any circumstance, want to face them in a super, especially considering they played for a regional championship last year. So they're not going to get in that format and go, oh, man, like, I'm – you know, the limelight's on us and we're just starstruck. Like, they're not going to be starstruck. So – you know, those guys are really impressive. You know, Florida Gulf Coast, Campbell, you know, Justin Harris done a really yep. nice job at Campbell. Uh, you know, they gave Tennessee all they can handle a couple of years ago in a regional, you know, and they've got, you know, one of the best, uh, you know, best, you know, Friday guys in the country in Kate Keeler. So, uh, and then y'all mentioned Grand Canyon. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're in the whack. So it's kind of hard to, kind of hard to tell just how good these guys are. But I mean, Homer Bush Jr. and, you know, obviously Jacob Wilson's a phenomenal player. The only thing I wish Grand Canyon would do is like not not try to have the same everything as TCU. That would help. God, yeah, <laughs> same. And I think they actually announced that they're changing that. Uh, Dude, I'll never forget. I went year. out to I went out a few years ago. I think it was like this, maybe the second weekend. TCU actually played GCU. Yeah, we were there too. I know. Dude, that was about. so weird. It was like both teams had the same freaking font. It was so yeah. strange. So <laughs> that was, yeah. Uh, I'm glad to hear they're changing that up because that's the, I mean, that looks bad. First game of the season, we came back and beat them in the ninth and your article was titled TCU teaches Grand Canyon a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Thought that was great. Kendall, when's the last time you went to a baseball game and didn't have to cover it? Actually got to enjoy it. Oh, oh. Uh, well, I technically did not write about te- uh, Texas. Well, I did actually write about it. I, I, I put some notes in there the next week. Huh. It's a great question. I might have to get back to you on that one. <laughs> take, take your family out to a game sometime. Enjoy. <laughs> we should, you know, uh, you know, in, in full transparency, like I don't care at all, but like, like my kids, especially my daughter, like they're huge, like A&M fans. So at some point I may take her to a game and just sit in the stands, but uh, I'm, you know, I'm a biased man. I hate everybody equally. Yeah. Hey, oh, I wanted to say I wanted to talk about that, too, because it's become such a like it's so cliche now, like you get that all the time. I want to say and y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think MK started that years ago. He did. It started with TC. So it started during the the, the Super Regional game. 
I guess like TCU fans thought I was mad that TCU won. And like it ended up like fans were literally just coming after me. It was like, you know, it was like one that was us. That no, was no, 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 no. No, so MK was making fun of our fans that were coming after you. Oh, so yeah. he started turning it into a joke, like every chance he could get. And people started catching on and following suit. What well, what's great about it, and I'm not gonna speak for y'all, but what's great about it is like TCU fans have like become like you know, some of my biggest fans over the years. So it's just hilarious <laughs> to see how how that's evolved. And uh, I will not name names, but there are people beyond fans who, after that Super Regional, like, came after me because they thought that, like, my tweets had an A&M slant to them. Lord. Not going to name names. Is it anyone but, on the podcast? Because we want you to name them. Yeah. <laughs> not, if it's one on of us, podcast. you can name them. Jeremiah Donati. <laughs> it it could have been me. I had more. I had a higher T back then. <laughs> uh, Kendall, really appreciate your time tonight. Um, obviously, you've got tons of stuff on D one. It's uh, I, I'm I'm hopeful that most of our the people that are listening this far are already sure. subscribers. But is there anything that you want to plug or anything that you guys are got? No, going man. On? So so right now you can put in season twenty three as a code, and you can get twenty three percent off every package we have. I don't know if TCU fans really want to subscribe to the SEC extra package, but uh, you can you can subscribe to any package with season twenty three. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure I'll see TCU again this year. We obviously still analyze them in our you know weekly columns and things like that. But uh, no, I mean it's a blast. I'd love to do this again, especially as we get closer to the postseason. Awesome. Yeah, we got yeah. I mean, we were hosting Texas and Oklahoma State, so hopefully by that point we'll actually be in contention for the Big Twelve. Yeah. But, well, yeah. one of these days I'll actually come up there and and take you guys up on a uh, Lupton beer. Hell yeah! Now they we're sell talking. them now. They sell them. I will not. I will not be like Sorensen, like Eric Sorensen, where he actually like tweets a picture of him drinking a beer. So <laughs> Is he working? Does he work while he's doing that? He does. Uh, don't get me started on that. But uh, yeah, I won't go that far. But maybe I'll take you up on it. Nice. Thanks, Kendall. Um, you got it, guys. You have it's a long week. season. We're we're only a third of the way through, but hopefully we'll meet up in Omaha. In a, you got in, it, fellas. Good luck to the frogs. Take care. We'll see ya. Thanks, Thanks Kendall. Thanks, fellas.